her husband and one of her daughters were killed in a tragic car accident. She had her own struggles with suicidal thinking, PTSD, and she uses her pain as a motivation to help others. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders. Because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at fhehealth.com. That's fhe health.com under programs you'll find details about shatterproof calling us from tallahassee florida we have jennifer tracy on the phone i gotta warn you right now we have lots of tough stories on the law enforcement today radio show and podcast this one there's no sugarcoating it this is tough as nails this is a difficult story to talk about her story is full of trauma full of heartache and also victory as well. Jennifer, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. So glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. I'm really thankful you agreed to come on and talk about this. We're going to talk about the death of your husband and I believe one of your daughters caused by a car accident, how that impacted you and the tragedies that you went through. But there's a lot of successes afterwards and how you use that to motivate what you do today, correct? Yeah, Definitely. So tell us a little bit about the tragic car crash. Yeah, so I think that's one of the toughest things. I think you guys are very familiar with the power of 10 minutes, but realistically that day, Jay, uh, it was August, warm, beautiful day. We had registered the girls earlier for school. We were going to go get some school supplies mid-afternoon. And last minute, I decided not to go on the family errand to go get school supplies. And when my youngest daughter realized I wasn't going, she said, hey, can I sit in the front? So I put Amber in the front on her booster seat, buckled her in. And then as my husband got ready to take off, Brittany, one of my twins, said to me, one more hug, mom, one more kiss. And so I gave her a hug and a kiss. And then I kissed Brian on the forehead. And they took off down the road. Ten minutes later, a drunk driver blew through a stop sign and T-boned the driver's side of the car and killed Brian and Brittany instantly. Um, Flight for Life came and took Michaela and Amber down to Children's Hospital, giving Michaela a 20% chance to live. She was in a coma for a while. And like I said, as you guys all know, the power of that 10 minutes, right? 
the time that I took to put Amber in the front and, you know, give Brittany another hug and a kiss, like the survivor's guilt, the, the logical part of myself from that day, you know, it took a long time for me to work through, like, what if I had just gone with them, Jay? Would we have already been through that intersection? And yet, you know, the what ifs is that place where we, we all find ourselves so often and we can't undo the past and we can't change the choices that we've made. Uh, so yeah, that day, you know, I uh, got the knock, got the knock on the door that no one ever wants. And that was definitely the day that I stepped into an arena when I swore I would never survive. Here I am 18 years later uh, in that arena fighting for others um, and so ever grateful for our first responders who are out there every day just making a difference. Your, your story is so catastrophic, and I hate to say this, and it's not meant to diminish what you've been through. This happens every day in communities all across mm-hmm. America. We have loved ones that send their loved ones off in a car for a routine trip. And you don't think anything of it. Nothing bad's going to happen. We don't live. I don't live in that world. I mean, I worry about my wife. I worry about my daughters and things like that. But I don't live in that world of what if this happens and the worst happens for you. And you said that the power of 10 minutes, your, your survivor's guilt. What if I'd done this? Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Number one, there's no words I can say that will make it better. So I, to say I'm sorry sounds trivial, but I really am that you went through this. And, but this happens all the time. And I don't think most of us really think that, hey, it could happen to us. Yeah. And, you know, after all this time, like I've come to realize, you know, when someone says, I'm sorry, you know, I take it, whether whether it comes through or not, I take that as like a sign of respect. And, you know, that day that I became a widow and the day that I lost a twin daughter, like I said, I stepped into this arena when I never thought that I would survive. Like when I was young and a young mom of three little girls, like I used to make curtains for their bedrooms. And like, I'm not saying I don't still like to sew, but, you know, I was a typical woman who was just kind of a homemaker. And when they died, like Uma Thurman and Kill Bill, like, I mean, I just remember having to tap so deep within myself to find this fortitude and this courage and this clarity of how was I going to keep a promise that I made to myself. And this is the promise I made to myself the day they died. I promised myself that when my two daughters who survived looked back, that they would never be able to say my mom died on that day too. My mom didn't die physically. She didn't die emotionally. She didn't turn to drugs or alcohol. My mom wasn't perfect, but that became my war. And so as each thing really, you know, butt up against me and kept just kept coming at me and coming at me, I had this clear vision of like what I wanted my girls to be able to say in the end. And you and I both know, like you said, we were talking and it's, Not everyone survives these type of tragedies. Uh, And that, that became my heartbeat was how do I save them? And it's, it's a bit cliche, but you know, 
I have kind of a saying that I say that I learned from the flight attendant. And they tell us, they say, if you're flying with a child and the oxygen mask drop down, that you're supposed to put that mask on, who first? Yourself. And we know that. Like, we, we hear it. But the reality, Jay, is that when it comes time to really doing that, my inclination as a parent would be to want to save my children first. Absolutely. And that's where, that's where we really hit this issue with our protectors and our warriors and our fighters, right? It's like, you guys are so good at saving other people and it becomes incredibly difficult to know, like, when is it time to put the own, ma- you know, that max on yourself, right? Well, what becomes really hard is... Our job is, I speak for me, my job was to help other people, to give them solutions, to solve their problems, to make them safe, to whatever I could do to help undo what was wrong in the world. However, many of those things I tried, I could not apply to myself. And uh, people talk about stigma. They talk about all kinds of things. It really was trying to use willpower and, hey, how come I can't figure this out? And unfortunately for many Mm -hmm. of us, We have to lose everything. When we return, we're going to talk more about your life after the accident. As horrible as the accident was, I really am not comfortable, Jennifer, asking a lot of details about it. So we'll talk starting with how you found out, how things impacted you, how they impacted your life, and and the decisions you made to create a new life afterwards. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show with our guest, Jennifer Tracy. We're going to talk more about the accident that killed her son, I mean, her husband, one of her daughters, tremendously impacted her and drove her to the brink and how she used that as motivation to help others. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What makes Shatterproof a very unique program is it's one of the only programs in the country that first responders can go to that is 100% all first responders. Everybody's in pretty bad shape when they get here. And then 30 days later, when you can see the transformation and the difference in people when they've had 30 days uh, of counseling, working with therapists, working with a psychiatrist, getting the neuro treatment. The transformation that happens with the clients is really humbling to be able to work around and see because people are getting better here. And it just shows that there's a need for the first responder community to deal with behavioral health issues and take them seriously and offer treatment to people that may need help out there. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420 or online at fhehealth.com. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Current conversation with Jennifer Tracy on the Law Enforcement Today show. Jennifer's husband and one of her daughters was killed in a tragic car accident. Her two other daughters were in an accident, were injured. It drove, literally drove her to the brink. And now she uses her experience to benefit others. Check out our website, redefineyourmission.com. As promised before, Jennifer, I, I appreciate you spending time talking about the tragedy that involved the accident that killed your husband and one of your daughters. And I promise you I won't ask about that again. You did say you got the knock on the door. Can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, and I think it's important to talk about that because, you know, I'm I'm 18 years past that moment, right? And people who follow me today, people who read my books, people who talk at me, look at me, right? You would never see the trauma of that knock on the door. And I think it's important for people to recognize all of us is, you know, that those first few moments, that first day, that first week, those first few years looked nothing like what my life looks like right now. And so sometimes I have to remind people that the season that they're in is actually okay. (laughs) It's not supposed to look like how mine looks. But uh, yeah, you know, when they knocked on the door, uh, I just fell down screaming. And I remember the officers staying with us for quite a while because um, the story was a little bit complex because we had just moved. And so they had a hard time locating me. So when they knocked on the door, they were like, are you the mother of? They were actually trying to find me. So uh, when they stayed with me that day, it was to make sure that I could get down to Children's Hospital safely. I didn't end up driving. I was beside myself. Um, Again, you know, some parts of the story that people don't know and understand, but it's just complex, is they told me that my husband and my youngest daughter were killed. So the whole ride down to Children's Hospital, I'm preparing myself that my twins are alive and Amber died. When I walk into the hospital, the first person I see is Amber. And I'm I'm just completely confused and just beside myself start running out. I'm like, where where is my other daughter? And I'm like like running in the hall at the hospital trying to find the other room because I'm just trying to wrap my head around who is it that's really dead. And so I get into the other room and it's Michaela. And uh, a lot of people may not know, but my daughter who passed away had cerebral palsy. And because of that, she was the smallest. And so that's why they said your husband and your youngest daughter are dead. So again, officers stayed with us to make sure I was safe, to make sure we could get down to the hospital safely, reconciling in my mind now that it's not Amber who's dead, that it's Brittany. And honestly, Jay, I made a very conscious decision to really put the oxygen mask on myself. So for a good three, four or five years, like I didn't talk publicly about this. Um, I didn't start a nonprofit. I didn't write a book. Like I focused very heavily on being involved at my girls' school, going to therapy, um, cooking, you know, allowing my girls to talk about things on the home front. Like I did my best to try to put some stability into our lives. And again, I'm not shaming people who, after trauma or after tragedy, who start nonprofits or, you know, really bury themselves into a new line of work, right? But for myself, I took those first few years to heal. So it was the sixth year that I started speaking. Someone asked me to share my story, and here I am, um, you know, all these years later, having spoken, you know, across our nation, sharing this story with countless thousands. So uh, I think 
it also brings me to a, a place where I'm able to, like I took care of a lot of things up front. My girls are older now. I didn't share our story on national TV until they were in their 20s because I didn't want my battle right. with suicide. It's not just your. Them. It's not just your story. Like mine, it's not just mine's story. It's my daughter's story. It's my ex-wife's yep. story. My current wife's story. My mom's. My sister's. Yep. Yep. I, I appreciate yeah, and applaud so you for I, doing that. It. It's. It, I got to go back to this. You made some conscious decisions to, to heal yourself, to work on yourself, and try to be there for your daughters. I got to tell you this. I can't imagine suddenly being widowed and then having one of your children killed and then having to still be a parent to two others and find a way to do everything all at the same time. Yeah, it was emotionally. I mean, my body had an incredibly tough time and, um, you know, I, I never turned to drugs or alcohol, Jay, but I remember thinking, oh my God, I want to do drugs so bad. Like I, the emotional pain that I felt, I I would have severe nosebleeds to the point where I'd have to go in and get my nose cauterized because my body was just so stressed out. But I tried really hard to find ways to heal my body. Uh, And one of that ways was like making sure that I got good sleep. And I think that that's part of the reason why you see me out there advocating for you guys so much is some of the things that I was able to do in those first five years to take care of myself. I feel like you guys are damned if you do and damned if you don't. Right. Like you, you may want to say to me, well, yeah, maybe I should, you know, pay more attention to my sleep, Jennifer. Right. But if, if you're truly struggling with sleeping and you have insomnia and you're a firefighter, you can't even really take something to help you sleep at night, especially if you're on ship for three days. No. So it becomes this complex issue of helping you guys solve that unique problem. And I think that's where, again, why you see me out there advocating so much is because it's one thing for me to be a person on the home front and say, you know, I'm going to take care of this sleep issue that I have. And I'm afforded that freedom because you guys are out there holding that line for us. It's such a, and, a slippery slope when you talk about just the, 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 the aspect of self-care of trying to sleep. And I'm going to go to my story real quick. Years of shift work, years of trauma, years of violence, and then the nightmares and all those things that plagued my sleep and created sleep problems. I would crash for a little bit in the afternoon and then be awake most of the night. And one of the things, the hardest thing to do was learn to get on a schedule of getting around. I had to learn to wake up the same time every day, no matter how tired I was, not take a nap. Mm -hmm. That eventually I started falling asleep. It doesn't mean it's all magically gone away. It means it requires a ton of concentrated effort, failure, continue on no matter what happens. You know you can continue on. And that's part of what I had to do. We will return to our conversation with Jennifer Tracy. She is talking about the tragic death of her husband and one of her children, how it impacted her. Letter to the Rink of Suicidal Thoughts and her mission, redefineyourmission.com, her book, and so much more. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. 
Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. The Officer Down Memorial Podcast tells the real stories of the men and women we've lost in the line of duty. It is one of the darkest days in Itasca County's history. From the officers who were there. He's probably maybe one of the best investigators and a natural born one. And family and friends who were left behind. We try and get distance from people's tragedies, but the death of Beefy, it just shot home to all of us how permanent murder is. You can subscribe to the Officer Down Memorial Podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Joining us, Jennifer Tracy. Jennifer went through extreme trauma. Her husband and one of her children were killed in a horrible car accident. And eventually she crashed and burned, was led to suicidal thoughts, made a lot of conscious decisions to change her life, to, to get better as much as possible, wrote a book called From the Deepest Darkness to the Light of Hope, Strategies and Solutions to Build Resiliency While Fighting Anxiety, Depression, and PTSD, and her nonprofit, RedefineYourMission.com. Get more details there. Jennifer, again, thanks so much for, for telling your story. I'll be honest with you. I don't. There's certain things I can't talk about. I still don't talk about it. And it's been a long time. You said it's 18 years. For me... There's life before certain incidents and there's life afterwards. And yeah. one of the things that people say all the time is time heals all wounds. And in my case, I don't believe it does. I just get more oh, used no, to I certain agree. things, you know, and yeah. Yeah. things like closure and justice. I gave up on a long time ago. How do I have a happy life in spite of that's all I can focus on sometimes. Yeah. Jay, um, I think something that's very unique about my story, and I think it's important for people to understand this is my battle with suicidal ideation actually came three years prior to their death. So I, you know, high achiever on my own hair salon, three little girls, married, successful, and found myself battling depression. Wasn't quite sure why I was doing all the things that I kind of knew to do, went to the doctor, went to church, you know, just, I was trying to figure it out. That battle with depression turned into full-blown suicidal ideation to the point where, like, I was convinced that my daughters were better off without me. And um, the day that I was going to end my life, Jay, the girls were in the car with me. And instead of making that horrific choice, I walked myself into the psychiatric unit. and. It was in the psychiatric unit that I realized a lot of things. I realized I was addicted to being perfect. I realized I didn't love myself. I became aware of what red flags were. But come to find out, Jay, when I was in the psychiatric unit, they they actually did a full blood panel on me and said, you have thyroid disease. You actually have no estrogen in your body, Jennifer. And because of those two things, you haven't slept well. And so... They started me on hormonal type medications, and after three or four weeks, Jay, my suicidal ideation was gone. And I think it doesn't change the trajectory of our story because K 
can you imagine being in the psychiatric unit, being labeled unfit? Like when I came out, that was not an easy feat, okay? That was not easy to come out of a psychiatric unit. But then three years later to have them killed in the manner that they were, I think it actually really prepared me. Like when they died, I knew that I had to take care of myself. And that just was so evident to me. It, be, it, it was clear to me. And even still, when I say that to people, they're like, no, that's, it's not clear. That's still when most people would buckle. It's like, you've already had this past stuff. Um, so when they died, I felt like I had my mind. I, I knew grief, denial and bargaining. Like I had to throw it out the window, Jay, like they were gone. My mind logically accepted they're gone. And I just remember very focusing on exactly kind of what you said, which is like, how do I find life? Please don't tell me like, you know, time's going to heal wounds. No, my journey from that moment forward has really been, how do I find life on the other side when I've been handed a life sentence? There's, there's, there's no coming back from that one. Here's, here's the thing that amazes me about your story, Jennifer. You went through this trauma before your husband and one of your daughters were killed. Yeah. You, you would think it'd be and the other way around. I know, but here, and then they used it against me, Jay. Like my mother-in-law comes swooping in and says, you know, Jennifer's been in the psychiatric unit and, um, you know, she's not fit to have her kids. And it's like, if that is not the marching message that I hope anyone listening to this today, like I, it's a one line in my book that says we have to stop telling people to reach out for help and then penalize them. when Absolutely. They do. I agree with you 100%. When, when someone sticks their hand out for help, and by the way, I'm just going to go to my story. I can't speak for anyone else. To this day, one of the hardest things I have to do is ask someone to help me with anything. So when someone sticks their hand out for help, and I'm using it as an analogy or a metaphor, sticks their hand out for help, why are we punishing them for doing that? Yeah, it's 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 that same thing I was saying, right? It's like we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. And then people wonder why the suicide rate is what it is. And that's that's that marching piece. Like, again, like that's the passion that I bring forward today now. <laughs> you know, my girls are older. I'm older. I've got you know, lots of success as far as personally navigating this valley of grief and trauma and betrayal. Like, I've got a lot of time in this valley. And so it is easier for me to talk about today because I can look back and see how I've made it here. And it it's easier for me to talk about, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And you said something very important, very powerful early on in the conversation. And this is one of the things I try to tell people. There's two things. Number one, don't compare. Hey, they had it so much worse than me. I have no right to be where I'm at. That that doesn't help anybody. Secondly, don't judge where I'm at today based off where you're at today. We're, we're all yeah. on many pages of the same same book, and you are further along in your journey than people who are brand new at this. And unfortunately, as we speak, there are people going through horrible things like this, and they don't know that they can ever find a life afterwards. And a big part of your story is the life you've built after. Yeah. And that's, again, that you, you nailed it, right? Like, that's the point. And I, I try really hard for people who do follow me to always say, like, 
yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm in Hawaii. Yes, I have the smile on my face. Yes, I'm doing this thing. But please don't forget that when I was in the midst of my battle, I was convinced that my daughters were better off without me. I try really hard to speak to kind of both audiences, those who are in the thick of it and those who are finding life on the other side. And it's a fine line to balance, like how to hold both of those. But I feel that is actually my life. Do you ever have times where you you have really good times and then days that just are periods of days where they're just really, really, all you can do is just barely hang on? No, I no longer have to like barely hang on. Um, Sadly, I lost three family members uh, over the last two years. And my brother, Sergeant Moore, uh, died by suicide in the midst of COVID. And um, that took me down, Jay. Yeah. Um, You know, I knew that I would be grieving and crying and still do. But um, as far as Brian and Brittany go, like, I guess the best way to explain it to you, Jay, is I had gone to let some balloons go to Brittany at her grave for like what would have been her graduation. And as I was getting the balloons filled, I turned around and there was this thing that had a bunch of cards on it. And there was this card that was wood and it said, add laugh to the top of your to-do list. And I just felt this like presence. And I just felt like my daughter, Brittany, was saying to me like, mom, like, mom, I'm at peace and I'm happy and I want you to add laughter to your life, mom. And I just made a promise to her that day. I didn't know how. I didn't know how I was going to add that laughter back in. Uh, And so the days of not knowing how I'm going to make it through are very, very slim. As far as like crying about her, I cry all the time. I hear you about that. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Jennifer Tracy on the Law Enforcement Today Show. There's so much more to talk about. Her life after, her new life. We'll talk about all that in a few moments when we return. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Back to our conversation with Jennifer Tracy on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Just a brief synopsis, Jennifer's husband and one of her daughters were killed in a car accident. She had her own issues with suicidal thinking beforehand and has really taken her life and and used that as motivation to help many other people. Her company website is redefineyourmission.com. The name of her book is From the Deepest Darkness to the Light of Hope, Strategies and Solutions to Build Resiliency While Fighting Anxiety, Depression, and PTSD. Before we get into your life today, Jennifer, there's an interesting story. You were at a function and you wound up meeting one of the officers that was on scene. Yes, like unreal 
chance meeting of um, I'm at a law enforcement recognition dinner and end up being at the table with Officer Carter, who was first officer on scene when he arrived with two DOA and had to wait for all the other helpers to come. And so this is like six or seven years after they died. He had gone on to create a program up where he lived uh, to help teens, like bring awareness to the drunk driving and safe driving. He invited me to come start speaking. And so you kind of asked me, like, how did you find this life? That was the start of it, Jay. When I got onto that stage and I started speaking and sharing the power, the transcending power of using my pain and using it in such a way, not in a victim way, not in a way of like, oh my gosh, this is what happened to me, shame on you. But I found a way to use the story powerfully and say, no matter what life hands us, we always get to make the choice what we're going to do with it. And so a lot of times people would ask me, they would say things like, how do you have the strength to keep doing this? And I would say, how many of you here are going to go home and be more kind to your parents today? How many of you here are going to reach out for help? How many of you here, like all the hands would go up. And when I would see those hands come up, it was like all this energy would just come back to me and just like fill me up. And I would say, that's where I find the strength to do it. And I think for those of us who know that experience, like from speaking or writing a book or creating a program, right? Creating a workbook, all those things. When you pour your energy into that and then someone comes back to you a year later and says, I read your book, my family and I read your book, you've changed our lives, you've helped us. Like it's this weird exchange of energy that's like, it just speaks right back into you and it helps you make purpose from your pain. And so that, yeah, that is actually how I got my start was just really sharing this, the stage with Officer Carter. I don't believe in coincidences anymore, and not for many, many years. I believe they're God's anonymous miracles. I, I don't know how to describe it otherwise. So the fact that you met him and that's what encouraged you to start doing what you do, the, the, the power of that is not lost on me because very easily the power of 10, you talked about 10 minutes, you could avoid him and missed him totally. Right. And um, so the one part of my story, again, that most people probably don't know is when Brian and Bernie were killed, I was diagnosed with PTSD and I went on disability, Jay. When I started speaking five or six years later and really wanted to turn the corner and make a difference, when you're on disability, you're pretty capped. Like if you make too much money, you're going to lose disability. And so I went through this thing called Ticket to Work program, and I worked my way off disability and created my company, Jay. So, you know, 12 years later, here I am, having really turned the corner and worked my way off disability, have my own company. And um, that wasn't easy. It was not easy to leave that security, but I also felt very trapped in the ability to move forward or to move the things that were inside of me forward. And so having that courage to transition, um, it was tough. But again, all of these experiences really bring me to where I am today with all of you guys, which is how incredibly isolating it can be when you're a leader, how alone we feel when we are transitioning, how hard it is when you guys pour your lives into something and all of a sudden that's not your identity anymore. 
I'm incredibly proud of the journey that I forged to be here. You should be. Uh, but I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be here without, you know, the people who have helped bring me here. Like I have an incredible family and friends. I've got three or four friends who have literally, they were um, Brian's friends and they are still my best friends today. Jody, Micah, Paul, like I have friends who have walked through the fire with me and have never left me. Not when I was suicidal, not when everybody else was coming at me and saying I was unfit, not when I transitioned off a disability, like they are still here rock solid by my side. So just a shout out to my family and my friends and, and my daughters. Tell they them both. I said thank you for that. It, one thing that holds true in my story, and I think yours, number one, I would never use the term easy to describe anything that you've been through. A lot of people will judge where you're at and not know the journey it took to get there. So thanks for spending part of your time talking about that. The second one is lots of people wanted to help me and lots of people tried to help me and they can help. They offer help, but they can't do the work for you. They can't and they won't. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to do it yourself. And a lot of times we, I can't speak for you. We tend to not pat ourselves on the back and say, man, it was because of so-and-so and so-and-so. And, -so. and yes, their help is vital. But if you didn't do the work, you wouldn't be where you're at today. Yeah, and that's. I think that that's, that's really how I move forward. Um, one of my favorite taglines is, you know, uh, we're stronger together. Like, I truly believe that, you know, when we connect arms, just like you and I are doing today and sharing this conversation and inviting people into this story and whether they relate to the first part of it, like you said, you know, they're just fresh into their their journey of grief or loss or trauma or their several years, right? Or they're successful. I just believe that our stories have the power to unite us. And I definitely know that moving forward, the only way forward for me is just to continue to connect with people. So I appreciate I agree you, know, with you, you reaching 100%. out to me and, One, and I just got a allowing me to share. You. Yeah. What what came first, the book or redefine your mission? Oh, the book. And yeah, how did book, one go? Absolutely. Did you just say to yourself one day, I'm going to write a book about what I've been through? Or did it take uh, many years? Because I'll be honest with you, I thought about writing the great American novel and never, never get past the first word. Oh, you're going to be shocked by this, I think. But the answer is I was so angry, Jay, because I would get up in front of people and say, you know, I've had to battle through PTSD and thoughts of suicide and hypervigilance and all of these things to be this woman in front of you. And everybody would like rub my shoulder like and say, oh, well, rightly so. I mean, your husband and daughter were killed. Yeah, I could see why you were suicidal. And I was so angry of being misunderstood, Jay. Like, I knew that my battle had come first and all of the shame, like I felt like a criminal when I was locked up in that psychiatric unit. To be misunderstood is what really compelled me to write my first, my first book is called Inside the Mind of Suicide. That was my first book. And it was like, no, I want you to know that like the suicide came first, then they died and I had to make the choice. I had to make lots of choices afterwards to get to where I am. And so that book, that book came first and it was definitely like, I needed to make it right. <laughs> like, how, how many books have you written? So I've written three now. So the first one's Inside the Mind of Suicide. 
The second one is from the deepest darkness to the light of hope. And I took that same content, but then I just like filled in the rest of the story. So like I wrote a final chapter called Home. Uh, and I wrote a chapter about my brother called Gone Too Soon. And so like I don't really recommend you get Inside the Mind of Suicide because from the deepest darkness, the light of hope is it's the same book, but it's the continuum. I guess gotcha. second edition, if you want to call that and what's right. What's the third book called? The third one is called Shatter the Strongholds, and it's a prayer book and journal that I wrote with my youngest daughter, Amber. Tell people where they can find you, find out more you do, and how they can contact you. Yeah. So, again, Redefine Your Mission uh, is is my marching heartbeat right now. You can find all things there. But if you really want, like, a scrapbook, Jay, go to jennifertracy-inspire.com, and you'll read, uh, like, 18 years' worth of stuff that Jennifer's been up to. So, Jennifer, for anyone who wants to know so all much. things, Jennifer. I appreciate yep. you telling your story and being guest on the show. All very much appreciated. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.